to this week's VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour and I'm joined by the regular gang. Uh, Matt Wallen, how are you? Uh, very good. And uh, our good friend, Mr. Jason Diamond, how are you? Very good. Fancy a trip to a small island that's about to die due to volcanic action and I don't mean Hawaii? Yes, we're off to uh, Jurassic World. Well, we're off to Jurassic Park, what's left of it, for a bit before Jurassic Park turns into Jurassic World, the uh, Fallen Kingdom, which um, is a really interesting uh, kind of, I guess, extra step in the uh, franchise. And so we're going to discuss that. Obviously, we like to do, we'll discuss the film first and then swing around to the visual effects, which were primarily done uh, by ILM, though uh, not exclusively. Um, uh, some other companies were uh, in there as well. In fact, um, well, I might as well mention them now, might not. Uh, so <laughs> um, so uh, Intelligent Pirates, actually their full name is, um, you know, Important Looking Pirates, sorry. Um, yeah, Scanline, uh, Lola and a few other companies, but mainly it was ILM uh, out of London and uh, their other office in, I'm going to say Vancouver, is that right? And uh, anyway, it was an ILM uh, film. In the tradition of the ILM films that go back to the original um, Jurassic Park, which this was referenced very heavily in terms of visual effects, and we'll come into that, but number of shots were specifically composed to be a complete homage and duplication of the uh, animal's behaviour so as to um, sort of connect with that original film, which is about, what, 25 years old, guys? It must be about that, right? Like yeah, somewhere years. in there. Okay, so... First film, huge pivotal moment in uh, computer graphics when um, really the stop motion guys just started the film and almost immediately got replaced with CG. Um, it wasn't the first CGI film, but certainly it was one that um, marked a really significant point in the history of uh, computer graphics at ILM. Matt, maybe you want to speak to that. Like it really was a big moment, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I started at ILM as an intern right when they were finishing up the first Jurassic Park. And so, um, I, you know, I kind of got, I didn't work on the show, but I got a, a kind of a nice window um, into what was going on at that time. And yeah, it was definitely, um, you know, one of the most uh, really exciting moments in the modern age of visual effects. It was where they went from, um, it was the first time they really did photorealistic, um, non, uh, you know, chrome <laughs> or non-reflective surface, uh, purely reflective surface visual effects characters, like uh, the development of view paint and um, the creation of uh, photorealistic textures, um, as well as, um, you know, the obviously the great animation, um, the amazing lighting and stuff. I mean, it, it was really the first time that anybody had seen anything quite like that. And... Um, you know, I think it's uh, you, it's cool that you mentioned it. I, I was wondering if it, if it was just my imagination, but there it's there are so many shots in this film that um, harken back to the original in such a really, I think a a really nice way, like a kind of a in a cool sort of homage kind of um, style. Yeah, can you remember what it was like when you first saw Jurassic, Jason? Was that like? A film that had a lot of impact on you personally, or was it just one of the bunch um, that came out? Interestingly, we talked about it. Uh, we were talking about it today a little bit, uh, along with Goonies, in that context. And Jurassic Park came out what uh, eighty nine, ninety. Uh, I, I forget ninety two. I want ninety two. I don't know. I forget the. Uh, was but it was officially ninety three that it came out. But it was right. Okay. So in nineteen, yeah. not to age myself, but in nineteen ninety three, I was twenty two. Right. Yeah. I was and 23. so, yep. <laughs> so it was not. You know, there, I have a lot of friends who are younger by about ten years, and Jurassic Park is a huge thing to them. And to me, it was like, oh, that's a cool movie, Spielberg, awesome dinosaurs. But it, from a filmmaking standpoint, other than the CG, like Matt pointed out, it, it, it's not a pivotal moment in my like cinematic heart. You See, know, for me, uh, I was I was late twenties as well, but it was at a very pivotal point in my career because I was right. in a facility sort of shifting it to digital from right. it was a post house and it had a lot of analog, it had a lot of digital editing, but not really like effects. So it was a very pivotal sort of, wow, this is what we want to do. We want to, you know, get a handle on this. Um, and it's it sort of felt as uh, Matt was alluding to, like the sort of organic creatures as opposed to kind of chrome yep. Terminator's thing. So certainly I remember... God, this Forrest Gump, like a few films around those, that sort of period mm -hmm. where people would be like, 
oh my God, look what's possible now. And then there was that expectation that if we can do this, extrapolate, we'll do anything in, you know, 18 months. Well, not maybe, you know, it's been... (laughs) I feel like the original Jurassic was like the, the first film where it really felt like they were cracking open, you know, this world of what was possible. And it was once this, once this film came out and, and, um, you know, the, the team at ILM had kind of figured out, all right, well, we can do this, this works. Like it works, um, at the box office, it works in the, in the, in the movie, like, um, we can do this. And then it really, um, kind of opened the floodgates for a number of scripts that had been floating around for, quite some time, I think, um, to my understanding anyway, that had, um, that people thought were great scripts, but they had never greenlit them because they thought, oh, this is going to be too hard to do. And, um, what's this going to look like? And you started to see, um, really all kinds of different projects, um, you yeah. know, the, the, that started to come out, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, things like, <laughs> uh, I think later on was like Casper the Friendly Ghost and uh, Dragonheart, mm-hmm. which kind of built on this. But then there was also yeah. um, uh, Forrest Gump, as you mentioned, Mike. Yeah, uh, yeah Frighteners. Um, just a, a, a large number of films where they started to really see, all right, well, what can we do? What can we make happen? Um, the well, ma- even Starship the mask, Troopers. You know, is another yeah. one too. And, yeah, Starship um, Troopers. Yeah, and, and it was an exploration of, uh, you know, hey, can we take the same technique and do it into really exaggerated character animation? Can we take it and make really elaborate backgrounds? Can we alter historical footage? Can we make ghosts? Can we, um, you know, mm-hmm. all, all everything that you could think of, you know, started to be like, all right, well, yeah, let's see if, what happens if we tweak, uh, you know, the look of this and the materials for that and, um, you know, try something new. And it really, it was the beginning, I think, of really the mm-hmm. age that we're living in now. I mean, Dragonheart, which was three years later, had character animation with lip sync. Obviously, these characters didn't right. talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was a magnificent film. Um, but you're right, like that, all those sort of films that, that started building out from different directions, whether it's being adding lip sync or like, you know, adding more interaction with uh, the humans or whatever. Um, also, I, I, I should mention when the original one won the Academy Award, the four people that stepped up um, was Michael Landry, who was special effects, Phil Tippett, Stan Winston, and Dennis Muren. Um, and that's that's not a bad stage to be standing on right yeah. there, is it? <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Um, they also won for best uh, sound effects editing and, and, and sound because it was a really good film in terms of the sound. I mean, the the uh, not just the obvious stuff like the vocalizations of the creatures, but like it just was a good immersive uh, film, I well, at least I thought so. I should ask the audio expert on the panel, Jason. Uh, no, I mean, I yeah, I mean, everything you're saying is is. I mean, it was big, lush. You know, it certainly uh, tying as I think as we all would agree, audio is even more important than video. So if you if you have yeah. a you know big beautiful score with a with a, you know big you know sound effects that are that are wrapping around the the theater and and it sells the visuals even more when I mean that's an iconic roar for the T-Rex that they're still using you know I mean with like the bus screech in it and all that stuff yeah. you know the, the the music the Jurassic Park sort of signature theme I still mm-hmm. like that's how I know the film was significant to me because when I hear that it makes me smile you know yeah for sure it's just we uh, were just uh we were just doing a job in, uh, a VR job uh in Seattle at the one of the zoos and because we were working behind the scenes we were driving through the zoo through the back of the zoo through the gates and everything and my friend Andrew that was with me said oh my god and he's like 10 years younger than me and he said oh this feels like Jurassic Park you know what I mean and we like we put on the theme song to Jurassic Park you know the theme in the car when we were driving through the zoo and it was you know had that feel we're like oh wow we're actually in Jurassic Park you know okay so if we use that as our baseline then and obviously skip a bunch of sequels what do we feel like this film delivered this new one this Jurassic World do we feel it's obviously much more the sequel to the previous reboot as it were, with Chris Pratt than it is to the original yeah. in one sense, but it also, of course, connects back to that original 93 version. What, what do you think, Jason? I mean, I have to start by saying I have become, over the last few years, a huge fan of the director, Jay Bayona. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, you know, I think we talked about The Impossible. Uh, we talked about... Um, uh, a monster calls, which I think we yeah. all agreed was fantastic, and he, I think personally, 
I don't, I didn't think of him this way before, but when he was attacking in this film, a Spielbergian, for lack of a better term, film, he, I think is the closest or can get the closest to Spielberg, uh, within his own style than anyone's gotten yet without like being dangerously close to, you know, rip off. And I, there's something super exciting about him as a director, like visually and the way, again, his transitions, I said this for Monster Calls, his transitions, he thinks about the cuts and you can see it. And not a lot of dudes do that. You know, there's a scene in here where the, where the, you know, the doors close and they open right away, you know, on the elevator with the little girl, like just these little mm-hmm. tiny touches that just really give the the cuts and the the scenes momentum. Um, I actually really enjoyed it. I just saw it with my kid like an hour ago. We got out of the theater. And 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 what did your your sample set of one extra think? uh, He loved it. He like, he was, he, when, as soon as the credits came up, he started clapping in the theater and was like, I mean, I think he's a little biased because I lean, lean over to him. And I'm like, oh my God, that shot is awesome. And he's like, oh, look at that shot. You know, whatever. I've trained him over the years. He's almost 12. I've trained him to, you know, look at visual effects appropriately and, you know, Isn't that the weirdest by, thing? Like my kids are shots. Incredi- incredibly yeah. critical of a film. Oh, that's such a bad green screen comp. And I'm like, really, yeah. darling? <laughs> and they're right, but you know. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure Thor's so, for you, Matt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed it. I think, I think it. I mean, if they have to keep making them, you know, I I don't know why they have to, but I mean, I I think I think it was it was it was fun. Uh, I I which is really all those movies can be. Like, I'm not looking for heavy drama. It's fun. It's exciting. There's bad guys. There's good guys. There's dinosaurs. I mean, I'm not sure what else you can really pack into it. Well, see, my problem is, or not my problem, I guess my point I'd like to discuss with you is that only half the film to me felt like Jurassic Park-ish, if I can use that sort of, um, the other half felt like what Spielberg himself said is more of a monster movie, right? So Mm -hmm. the the question is, did you enjoy the the Jurassic Park bit um, equally and as in equal measure to to the haunted house bit? Um, well, obviously it wasn't a haunted house, but you know what I'm saying. And also, do we think that the future lies in that second half in that we, that's goodbye islands, hello, running down the street? Because that, that actually did happen in one of the earlier... Um, I think it happened where, in two, right? Yeah, where the... Happened in uh, two, yeah. The T-Rex knocks the bus over. Last yeah. world. Which, would, by the way, was a direct uh, reflection of King Kong coming out. They wanted to right. put... And they wanted, you know, they were worried with King Kong coming out the film from... Um, and right. I worked on Lost World. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, you worked on Lost World? I did, yeah. Well, is that, I mean, did you, maybe you could discuss that. I mean, I, that's what I, I understood was the case. So which, which piece? That, there was that, that sense that, that, they, that you've gone to a city and now you've got a much more like of a King Kong type of story where it's like a creature sort of wreaking havoc. It's a different thing than the island stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it does have in the first half of the film, which is actually a lot of stuff I worked on, it does have a lot of stuff on the island um, where they're um, engaged with uh, the animals. But yeah, then they bring it back to San Diego. And in San Diego is where um, you have this sort of rampage uh, at the, I believe, the uh, 76 station, (laughs) right? The gas station, which is kind of a, a fun play on sort of the, you know, what what are dinosaurs to us now in some sense? Um, but yeah, I think I, th- I certainly there was um, a desire to have that kind of King Kong sort of DNA in that story. Um, I think that seems pretty clear uh, just in the whole thing of putting the T Rex in the boat and then you know the ship traveling from the island. Uh, yeah, to it's the super port. King Kong. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean it's almost like it, it's more almost like the seventies King Kong in a weird way. You yeah. Know? Which so, is great. I love that so, movie. Uh, I agree. So, so in this film, right, we have this real split, right? We've got this, you know, almost gothic kind of house estate, which looked much more English than American and like just, you know, like felt very like kind of a sort of a place that, um, I mean, it's a semi-museum, It's you know, but it was very well, I, sort of... Can I speak to that a little bit too? Like, yeah. In the sense that just in, in terms of the film, I think I would just echo what Jason said um, 
and I think Jason makes an amazingly great point, like this filmmaker, this director, um, you know, especially when we go back to, you know, looking at A Monster Calls and the show we did on that um, and looking at the work in A Monster Calls, I think this this is sort of a great combination of um, sort of the Spielbergian sort of, you know, the island motif, all the um, homage stylized shots that play out on the island. But then that second half that like that you're starting to describe, Mike, that sort of gothic half, it's much more of this director's kind of DNA. It felt so much like a monster calls in particular, um, which we can get into a little bit later, but the sequence in the kid's bedroom, and the silhouette mm-hmm. and stuff. It just felt like it was straight out of that movie. It had that same, and it is, and it's masterfully directed and crafted as a sequence. I think that particular moment, um, and then the the rooftop, uh, sort of, uh, you know, at opposite ends of the rooftop on that glass um, roof uh, towards the end of the film. But I think um, you know, it, it feels like it's a really interesting hybrid between the two. And this is a film for me that, like, I go in with very little expectation in terms of like the plot, but I'm excited to see the state of the art of, you know, CG dinosaurs, you know, ILM at the sort of top of its game doing this kind of creature um, animation. And then also just like a fun monster movie, you know, I think it's the kind of thing too, like where I, I don't have a, you know, I'm not expecting, um, you know, some uh, like, you know, Annihilation or Under the Skin or some really deep, uh, heady sci-fi kind of thing. I'm just, I'm hoping I'm going to see some, you know, lawyers get uh, eaten, maybe, uh, (laughs) you know, something like that. Arms dealers. Yeah. 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 See, I guess from my point of view, here's the thing, right? Like, and I'm I'm not saying I dislike the film. It's just to a certain extent, I so love the island Jurassic. Mm. Having said that, if I was given the job, which I never would be, I'm like, I don't know what else you can do on the island, right? At some point, you yeah. kind of run out of islandness. Um, but by the same token, it kind of doesn't feel like a Jurassic film when it's in that kind of now. Well, I think we're outside of that film. at this point. I mean, I think it's we're outside of the. Yeah, I think we're outside of the the net now of what a Jurassic. I mean, we're outside of Jurassic Park, right? We're in yeah. Jurassic World, uh, which I think is, you know. Uh, because the previous one was Jurassic World as well, right? It wasn't Jurassic Park. It wasn't Fallen, right? uh, Fallen, Fallen Kingdom, yeah. But the thing is, right. for me though, so, so here's the thing. I kind of liked the last film a lot more because I think I just liked Jurassicness in the park and the animals in there, native, blah, blah, blah. And so it wasn't that I disliked this film. It's just, I mean, I really loved that stuff in the previous park, especially when the park goes crazy and all the tourists are getting eaten. And right, you know, but how many times can you do that? No, no, I, mean, I know, I know. Them. I totally yeah. agree. It's very hard to make a sequel to it. I, I yeah. guess I'm almost getting to the point of saying, yeah, but if, if the only way to go forward is to just have all the dinosaurs wreaking havoc on the mainland, I don't know how interesting a film that is. Well, it's almost like, this is almost like the, I can't remember the order, forgive me, but this is almost like it's the dawn or the rise. It's the middle Planet of the Apes movie, right? Yeah. Oh, I don't think so. Really? (laughs) You don't think so? I mean, it feels like, because I I think, I think, you know, that you build up to, um, although I mean, I actually think each, I mean, mean, fair enough. I mean, I do think each successive Apes movie actually does get much better, Um, on a, in terms of uh, script and plot construction and certainly yeah. in terms of visual effects. Um, but I also think that, you know, this movie feels like it's the transitory story that's between yes. the island uh, and maybe what comes next, which maybe is the thing that you want to see, you know? Well, I, I mean, mean Colin, true. Colin Trevorrow wrote the first one and directed it. He wrote this one. He was supposed to direct it, but he went to do episode nine and then while he was waiting to do episode nine, they kicked him off of it. So he's doing the third one, third Jurassic World. So, yeah. you know, so they are going to have a third one. He has an arc that he's working on, you know, for the three movies. I just don't want it to turn into disaster porn. Like, I think what was I interesting. Hope it, I hope it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've got something interesting to me about to the that. island. <laughs> it is. See, what, what I liked about the island was there was some sense of them being animals. And they weren't just... Now, let's take the film Rampage with The Rock. Kind of cheap popcorn, not cheap, but, you know, like obvious popcorn-y kind of, you know, ridiculous yeah. Video stuff. Video game-esque movie, yeah. Yeah, and, but, you know, it was fun to watch The Rock. But the problem is it doesn't have... It's like a fast food meal, right? Like it's great and you 
crave it a bit at the time, but you don't kind of look back on it as well. Wasn't that a great, but it, but it shares great meal? But that, this movie, um, the the movie you just mentioned with the rock rampage, and then things like Kong Skull Island, I feel like they share a lot of. There's a lot of DNA that connects those that kind of filmmaking, that there, kind of story, is, that sort of genre, that flavor, and it and it, even Kong Skull Island, which I think in a stylistic way. I mean, I loved it. I feel, and in terms of the style of the filmmaking, it's much more like it, it seemed it like was a rich so meal. much more fun. Yeah, it was a very rich yeah. meal, but it's still like a, a kind of a rich fast food meal. You know what I'm saying? No, no, I know what you're saying, but it's just like it feels to me like um, that if this film, this film better have something up its sleeve in terms of the third film that we're going to not just end up, otherwise, we, yeah, I'm, I'm saying this very poorly, but I think if the third film has got some really interesting dimensions to it and isn't just evil scientist is going to produce a bunch more things all over the yeah. world and, you know, like now they could do something just amazingly different um, and take it in a totally different direction and end up with like a an army of Russian dinos against an army of American ones or something that's got nothing to do with anything that I could possibly conceive and maybe that would pull me in. But if it's just going to be countless different dinosaurs, poor things misplaced and, and smashing cars and, and buildings, it's like, because oh, the animalness of it, going back to the original one, was just fascinating, this idea like, well, could you do this with the DNA? And then, I mean, like literally the zeitgeist at the time was like, how plausible is the mm-hmm. science of Jurassic Park? Well... And, how would the Remember in this and... one, spoiler alert, obviously, uh, you know, they dropped this bomb about the girl being a clone. Oh, so yeah. yep. that yeah. clearly must be leading to something, I hope. I mean, that would be kind of an odd, like, storyline to just blow up. Cause she, she hits the button at the end and says, you know, they, because they're like me. So there must be, there has to, I would hope, there's some, like, you know, uh, connection to that down the road i don't know what that would be but it would seem logical so i'm going to say that conclusion i'm going to go even out on a limb here and say one of the reasons that i think avengers and the marvel stuff is so good is that when you look at the arc of the films they seem to be of a coherent voice and one of the problems right. with star wars at the moment is that they don't seem to have a coherent voice. It's almost like we started going in this direction with these characters and then the next director came along and said, yeah, I don't like that. I'm going to do something else. And they went in this direction and then they go, okay, well, I'm kind of with you on that. And they go, no, no, forget that. The, the parents of this character aren't important after all. We're getting on a different direction. And I'm like, oh. Whereas in Marvel, yeah. you get these like seeds laid that this character is this and then they're going to come back and then they're going to, and you can just sort of see it all connecting out and it doesn't feel like they just changed their mind and Bucky isn't important after all and we're just going to forget about him. Whereas now, so in this context, um, I'm very curious to see whether the filmmakers can do the same thing. If they do have that, as you say, like the clone thing was a deliberate drop and blah, 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 then the third one I great could be terrific. Well, but if it's just again, random direction. Again, it's the same writer for all three, right? Trevorrow yeah, I mean, and his buddy are writing all three yeah. and he's directing one and three. So you would hope that he has some sort of arc in mind for all three. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Otherwise it we'll would be a missed see. opportunity. I think you make a great point though, Mike. And I, and, and I actually do think, you know, I probably uh, concur largely with what you're saying in the sense that I do think that while I had a, a fun time and there is some spectacular visual effects in this movie, mm-hmm. I do think that, um, you know, as a story, as a, as a, as a film itself, like it's pretty thin. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think mean, the direct, I think the direct analogy is you have alien movies and you have, you know, predator movies. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you had alien versus predator yeah. just because, and we were just going to put them on earth to fight each other. And, you know, it's just kind of like, I think it's, you know, it's in that zone. We're getting it's right. It's zone. right on the edge of, I think, with a disaster yeah. porn comment. But I think if the next one becomes, if the next one is the equivalent of Aliens 2, like Aliens, as in the second one, where there's this whole new dimension, and like in that case, it was about motherhood and stuff, mm-hmm. then, you know, I'm in like Flynn and I'll eat my words, but I, I'm not sure. Hey, yeah. I'm talking about spectacular visual effects. For me, as I said, I already think for me the, the stuff that I loved the most was on the island. I'm not saying that the other stuff was bad, but I just loved some of the the stuff on the island. And as you probably told from the article I wrote on FX Guide, which just enormously focuses on the um, island and the especially the chase off the island, uh, that was my just moment that I loved the most. The whole kind of 
here we are on the island. We've got a whole lot of animals. Um, you're kind of not showing where they're going. Like everything from the Chris Pat, Pratt amazing physical acting of pretending to be half sedated, half drugged, half paralyzed. Oh, that was so great. great. Yeah. Which, I mean, just, I had to even check with ILM that that wasn't visual effects because I just couldn't believe the man could move his body like that. And that was <laughs> gold right through to the, you know, good action sequence of them going off the cliff and underwater and all that stuff. I just thought, mm-hmm. hey, this is, this is a good ride. It kind of reminded me, obviously, from the cliff, from the second Jurassic where um, they have their cable car-y kind of effect or the car that's connected by cables mm-hmm. going off the cliff, which, again, on them just sort of on the cracking glass was a beautiful cinematic moment for me. I mean, it just, I didn't think they were going to die, but man, that was just full on tension sort of stuff. So yeah, I mean, I thought it was really good filmmaking, but just what gorgeous visual effects culminating in that shot at the very end on the, on the, uh, on the wharf looking back. um, Yeah. uh, I mean, that was just. With the shadow of the brontosaurus. Yeah. Brachiosaurus. Yeah. And the Brachiosaurus imitating exactly the move that it did in the first Jurassic Park film, which is what we were alluding mm-hmm. to earlier, uh, when it reached up to get the leaves from the, uh, from the tree. I mean, mm-hmm. everything about that at that point, I was like, man, I love this director. This is just awesome. <laughs> I was just so... Yeah, happy. I mean, it's one of the most poignant moments, you know, certainly, and uh, probably one of the most moving moments in, in this movie. Like, yeah. it actually really kind of mm. captures your, your, uh, your heart, you know, unless you're... Uh, <laughs> you know, really cynical, I suppose. But, um, but I, I thought that was a great moment. And I think too, you know, it's all, um, the, the tension is heightened and the, the sort of callback to the earlier films, I think really makes it something that resonates in a, in a, in a way that's pretty powerful. But I think the, um, the destruction sims, like all the volcano, uh, eruption oh, yeah. stuff and all of the, um, the debris, the explosion, the lava, the um, the pyroclastic uh, cloud, you know, and the flow coming down the mountain. Mm-hmm. That stuff is so, I mean, it's, there's nothing in it that I can even find, take issue with. Like, it's so mm. well done. It's so, so spectacular. And, I like the big high wides they did a couple of times at the uh, island yeah. also. Oh, you know, the, some of the high that, wides were actually from the previous film. They shot it on the red camera and they just reused it. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, nice. cool. Or they didn't reuse it. They used stuff that wasn't used on the previous one, like right, yeah, right. outtakes. But, I, I agree. Yeah. I thought it was just great. Just it's great gore- stuff. Gorgeous stuff. And, and the whole thing of like them trying to escape uh, and they find that... Um, I don't know what they call that thing, the like the, the ball, the ball the, yeah. car thing, the and uh, try to the gyro car, yeah, and they try to escape in that and um, all that stuff with the uh, the dinosaur dinosaurs sort of running sort of behind them and then running past them, and then even the the um, the, the uh, going off the edge of the cliff and into the water. I mean, I thought that stuff was it's just so amazing. And what I like the, when they sorry, go on. I was going to say when they when they come across the car, it's jammed against the ball. It's jammed against a piece of wood, and it's upside down. That's exactly down. what I was going to refer to. And, That's exactly and, what I, was and I thought to. it was really smart that like, you know, as the dinosaurs are running by, one dinosaur breaks off a piece, another one breaks off a piece. It rolls a little bit one way, it rolls a little bit another way, and then the the T Rex, you know, hits it and it rolls forward, and then its tail hits it, which makes the door close. Like it was all like. It was very well choreographed with yeah, because it se- seeming seeming haphazard, but at the same time, I mean, you know what's going to happen, but it, 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 was, it was very well uh, orchestrated, I thought. Yeah. In the hands of a lesser filmmaker, you'd go, oh, that's convenient. They've just come across a car. Gosh, what a handy thing to have lying here in the middle of a field. Yeah. But it didn't feel like that at all. No. And I think that that final shot too, uh, the sort of uh, match shot from the original film of the T Rex, like what the uh, the explosion from the volcano going off in the background, and that's just it's so cool. And that's a shot too that um, the, on the original film, it was uh, I believe he was either the CG supervisor or he's supervising that sequence was um, Steve Price, who is sadly. Uh, no longer with us, but Steve Price was a really pivotal um, artist who worked on the first Jurassic film, and he, um, I know, worked on that match shot from the original. Yeah, yeah. It was um, just, uh, I also liked my my favorite callback was just prior to him getting shot with the dart, um, and that lava sequence that you were 
talking about was when they see the overturned Jurassic Park vehicle and you see Chris Pratt in the rearview mirror. Oh yeah, <laughs> and they do so cool. and they do that yeah. gag. You know, I was like, okay, because I mean, they also did that in Toy Story too. You know, what I mean, with yeah. with yeah. Uh, Rex running, you know, in the rearview mirror of the car. So. That- there were so many nice things on the island. Like I loved when we saw, it sort of wasn't literally on the island, but when we saw the flashback of him looking at the footage of the small um, blue mm-hmm. and the and velociraptors, like that was well executed, really well done. Also, it, it's why I liked the films because they're animals and we care about the animals. And mm-hmm. I would actually go this far. This would have been a better film, though in, without a doubt sadder, if Blue had died. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that you can do with this film is that you can play on our empathy. Like, you're not going to k- kill Chris Pratt, right? No one's going to believe you're going to kill Chris Pratt. That's like Owen's character has to survive. We know that. You're not going to kill a little girl because there's a little girl and you don't kill little girls, right? But when you have an animal, like if an animal gives its life, um, it's like a dog. Like some of the saddest films I've ever seen are these like dog movies that are like almost movies of the week, right? Where the the dog, you know, (laughs) does everything for its master and is completely loyal, that kind of thing, right? And I I think like that's that's the juice they've got in these that they didn't seem to be really milking in the second half of the film, which is they're animals. And if you just play up their loyalties and their instincts as animals, then we care about them so much. But because they're CG animals, you can't afford in the plot to kill them. Uh, I'm not saying you want to kill them all, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a plausible thing to do. Right. I think like at the moment they're playing it a bit like, oh, we can't kill the T-Rex, we can't kill Blue, we can't kill, you know, it's like, okay, well, I understand all that. Yeah. But in reality, you know, like the dog that gives its life for its master as a, um, I don't know, um, mind-sniffing dog in a movie is just heartbreakingly kind of moving stuff. Well, right? Yeah, man, old yeller. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so I feel like, like when you've got the, them being animals and, uh, and behaving like that, that's when it's really, really strong. And I, I would have liked to have seen that played up even a bit more. And, Can I know, say my favorite? Do you guys have yeah, a sure. favorite dinosaur? My guy, yeah. my guy was the, was, I forget his name, because I was the dinosaur kid in, in like fourth grade, so I knew all the fifth. Grade, I knew all the dinosaurs, but um, I forgot his name. But the guy who was in the cell next to them with the hammerhead. Yep. Oh yeah, that dude was done really, really well. And the the character animation for it, like like he had a personality, and like you, as soon as he looked up and saw him, he's like, you get the idea. He has the idea. Idea is executed, but he's you like to your point, Mike. He, it's an animal, and he's as a behaviorist understands how to use the animal's behavior complementary instead of just like, I don't know, I'm going to like poke this dog and make him bark and like set off an alarm. You know what I mean? Like it had a, it had a, a flow to it that was really nice. And of course it comes back later when he lets him into the thing and he hit, you know, he's the one who lets out, you know, everybody, uh, in the, in the, uh, what's it called with, you know, where, where he gets all the arms dealers or, you know, the auction, you know, people at the auction. Yeah. Um, and also in that sequence, the intercutting of Toby, uh, what's his name, uh, you know, slamming the gavel down on each time the the guy hit his head yeah. on the wall. Like that was, I was just like, yes, yes. Like, you know, tsh, 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 tsh. like beautiful, like way to advance two stories at the same time. Yes, yeah, structurally, with that's this, really fun and yeah, very Spielberg, yeah. Spielberg-y too, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think he was he was really really good. But again, you know, like as much as I'm don't want to be like whatever, like you, you know, we should have like had more of that character near the end. Like it should have like come back that you know, like at the last second, you thought the T Rex was going to lose it or something, and then right. you know, you kind of have this instinctive little guy that kind of like I just feel like it's a bit just embrace the animal behavior more mm-hmm. almost, is, rather than just have them. That's why I, I, I've been saying earlier, I don't want it to turn into disaster porn because then you've just got rampaging uh, creatures that are monsters. Right, with no and logic. Yeah. And also that's why I don't, I don't really care about these genetically engineered new ones because mm-hmm. one of the appeals I think also is that these are things that did roam the earth. Now, yeah, I, agree. I understand they may have had feathers and blah, 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 but like, you kind of lose something when you just get genetically modified, laser-directed kind of mm-hmm. evil things. I, don't, I just don't care about them. And um, I'd almost have played it that the animal that was doing the damage at the end was a hurt animal that, you know, like was just doing what it was doing and you sort of felt like he had, Chris had to put it down because 
it was hurting people, but it, you know, he didn't want to because it wasn't the animal's fault because he was harmed by right. the humans kind of thing. And then you'd be like, oh man, you know, yes, I had to kill it, but oh my God, that's so unfair. Versus the kind of thing we do at the moment, like with sharks, where we just say, oh, they're bad. They have no feelings. They have no emotions. Yeah. They're not. And the, but the panda bear, oh my God, he is like totally cute. You know, look at him, <laughs> with, you know, the mother with the, it's like, I would just like them to be playing these beats without just going to genetically laser pointed yeah. directed sort of monsters. Anyway, it's me. Hey, um, so what do we think about just the general environment work on, because we, we talked about that running down the hill, most of that hill stuff ended up as being fully CG, uh, even though they shot in Hawaii because the animals had to interact with the ground and stuff. That was like a massive amounts of environment work. Um, I think overall, I, mean, I, I feel like overall the environment works, certainly on the island. I feel like it's really, really strong. I think um, mm-hmm. it holds up well. Like I don't think there were, there aren't any shots that I, I can think of uh, sort of playing it back in my head, things that really stuck out. I don't remember making a note of any. I think the only environment piece that um, I did have a little bit of an issue with, and it was kind of somewhat an ex- execution, but I think might have been design, was um, the first reveal of um, the mansion when we go back to the to the mm-hmm. mansion for the first time. And that first reveal where we're sort of flying the over the... Yeah, yeah, where we're sort of flying over the Northern California. Or Harry Potter, yeah. Yeah, just it sort of felt like structurally, I think design-wise, like the structure itself felt, um, it was almost too Baroque to be believable as an architectural structure, but also... You know what I thought? I thought yeah. the same thing, and I thought it was all of the same era, and like almost any place you go, like I actually visited recently the place they shot that um, English uh, drama that um, everybody loves, you know, the um, mm-hmm. Downton Abbey, right? Yeah, yeah. And if, yeah. if you actually go to the current Downton Abbey location, there are some newer buildings because over time somebody has to build a, you know, whatever. Right. And that one that we saw was like a theme park where every single blade of grass was art-directed and, and exact. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it was too big for the architectural style that they decided to design it in too. It was like, if it was all authentically from, you know, whatever era that is, that kind of gothic-y kind of castle looking house, it wouldn't have been um, so tall, you know, it just, I don't know, it, it strained yeah. credibility it almost, as a structure and it just looked kind of silly. It looked yeah. like a film it almost yeah. would have been better if you had like, you know, the main house with a, like a more futuristic structure coming out the back of it. Like it was added on to it or something. Yeah, it was like, it was like the Las Vegas version of Paris, France yeah. or yeah. something, you know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, inside the, um, uh, the building looked great. I mean, there was some really great yeah. stuff there. And obviously a mix of digital and real when the creatures are thumping around. I like the idea of having that kind of museum-y kind of look. I think that was like, it was all, it all felt really good. Yeah. Um, well, you knew it was going to happen. Also, it was great foreshadowing that you knew there was going to be sequences in the little diorama rooms, which were just the shot where the where it gets dark and then the lights come on and mm-hmm. the the Indoraptor's face is over the girl's face. Yeah, totally. And then she screams <laughs> and it screams or it, it roars was beautiful. It was so well, like it's so subtle. And then uh, it was really nice. Hey, um. um so what did you think about the use of animatronics in this? Because there's actually a lot of effort put into trying to get animatronics into this as in um, not just stuff, well, stuff that they're going to replace, but stuff that they would actually end up using. And so, you know, ILM would make the model. They would actually export the model so it could be 3D printed so that the physical creature effects guys could actually produce and then, of course, paint texture, an actual thing to have on set. Do we feel like that was noticeable, not noticeable? What do you reckon? I feel like it's a big it's a big improvement over... I, well, I shouldn't say a big improvement. I think um, maybe in terms of like the, the high-frequency sort of detail that uh, if they're 3D printing those textures, like I didn't notice 
the animatronics to the same degree that I just went back and watched because it just came out on Netflix here, the original Jurassic Park. And I just watched like my favorite part, which is maybe everybody's favorite part, the the T-Rex attack in the rain, right? Um, mm-hmm. Where it comes out. And, and that's one of the most interesting sequences to watch in that first film, I think, because it's such an amazing um, blend between the full CG T-Rex and the Stan Winston, the big animatronic one. And they work so well together in the edit and in the sound design and in the sort of way that that sequence is boarded out. It's it's just seamlessly integrated. And unless you're really watching, like, oh, when, when it's walking, it's CG. Or, you know, unless you're really paying attention to that, you're not going to necessarily know when it switches back and forth. And I think in this film, at least for me, I'm trying to think of a particular um, moment where it's clearly a puppet. And I, I mean, I feel like, you know, that process that you describe is sort of the inverse process and being able to 3D print from, you know, the highly detailed sculpt sculpt of the 3D model. It's an interesting concept though, isn't it? Like, I mean, it's, yeah. it's you're going you're gonna, to, because the, the um, point we made in the article was you either have to match it perfectly when you've got animatronics and CG or totally replace it. So right. blue was intended to be totally replaced, hence the, uh, puppet, I'm going to call it, on set was not detailed to that final level. The, in the container, the, when they're shipping the T-Rex, like that's a lot of that's... Um, uh, but, you know, the um, the uh, abomination that's in the cage that's uh, at the auction, so that was done when they hadn't really resolved the design, so they tried to get that in camera. And if you look at the publicity shots, you'll actually see the director with the head of that creature in heaps of publicity shots. But in fact, they modified the creature so much that he was completely replaced. So that was a, we went for it and then decided to not do it. Hmm. Um, And then, uh, yeah, so there was was like a couple of big occasions where they were using uh, animatronics and one where they'd used it and didn't, and one where they definitely used it expecting to replace it in the case of Blue. And and it worked for eyeline, for bounce light, for all the reasons that you would normally um, do it. But um, i, I got to say... So, sorry, go ahead. Well, just, it's sometimes I, I, feel, I feel like there are these uh, pushes to say we had animatronics or to say we used miniatures or to say we used, you know, physical effects. And I feel like this film got the balance right in that, you know mm-hmm. what, I mean, I think it really does help to have something to line up on for camera and for the actors to work to, but you shouldn't have it in the film at the cost of it looking hokey and sometimes well, it, it would It would make sense too in the way that you describe, I mean, I again, I'm, you know, not privy maybe to that information, but like the... Um, if if it is you know some of the sequence in the um, in the back of the truck when they're sort of trying to tranquilize the to get the blood yep. for blue right if some of that is actually um, uh, an animatronic uh, creature it kind of makes sense to utilize it in that moment too because if yeah. you're dealing with an animal that's sedated you know the expectation from you know a story point from the audience's point of view is that that movement that motion is going to be you know is going to be reduced Different. and so so you're you're almost like you know it's smart to use it um story-wise in in the context that um yeah it just it just would make more sense so when so, chris well, and, and oh sorry um, owen and claire are with the t-rex mm-hmm. you know in the that that guy mm-hmm. is is primarily all um, physical. Yeah, that's cool. And that's yeah. crazy because it looked, I mean, you'd never know. I mean, look, yeah. it matched perfectly. Yeah, I agree. And um, But interestingly, well, so to that point, my only, the only outside of the driving shot at the end, which was not, was bothered me because it was not, it was a green screen and it wasn't good, um, was um, the T-Rex, the physical now that I know that physical model in the container during the blood getting sequence, when, when they unload the animals at the, at the uh, mansion and they cut back to that same sort of looking down the barrel of the cage with the T-Rex, the scale was totally different. When the, you see the T-Rex trying to come out, his head almost fills the entire container where it doesn't right. in the in the sequence otherwise they wouldn't have been able to fit in there like you're like i saw it and i was like wait did it get bigger like how how would they have fit in there like it didn't look like they would have been able to fit in the cage 
in yeah. that CG shot. That was the only shot that of the thing that jumped out at me. Uh, um, the other thing, of course, is not animatronics, but it's in the same sort of vein of let's do it for real was sticking uh, a couple of the actors in their own homemade roller coaster, which I oh, just yeah, thought was... Oh, yeah, that's my favorite. Oh, you know about we... that, Matt? And that's for the gyro car thing? Yeah, going off Yeah, the when cliff. they go off the cliff, they, they literally push them off a cliff, <laughs> off like a building edge on a roller coaster they made for that car. Wow, that's cool. And so that's when they're going, ah, they, that, was the, that was the first take. And they just push them, over the, they push them over the edge. And they're like, all right, got that. You know I mean? Like the, the physics are right, obviously, because they're going over like a three-story building or two-story building or something. And they're, and they're also very kind of like in a glass ball going over the edge of a building. They, they, there are some shots of it on FX Guide on the and animation. I mean, sorry, a clip of it um, from behind the scenes. It was off a bunch of containers they built up that um, they actually built yeah. this roller coaster. What I thought was also good is that the they, there was a, we were talking to um, the VFX supervisor and and uh, and the team about this um, at ILM is that there was actually talk of trying to do the underwater sequences, you know, dry for wet, and instead of that, they you know built a immersion gyro car with a bolted on the side of it camera unit. So, and I thought this was just so obvious. And so whenever they wanted to get like, let's say you want to get the shot of Claire, they just spun the internals, which Claire was sitting in. Uh, so she was yeah. the right angle to the camera because <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's a ball, right? So there was like right. no front. Makes sense. And they go, oh, I want a front shot of Claire. So I just turn Claire so she faces the camera. <laughs> it was like, they just, guy just sat in this, in this yeah. sort of cube on the side of the Gyro. sphere. yeah. Yeah, just filming her. But then, of course, Chris Pratt would swim down about six feet underwater to try and get them out. And um, the internal water was separately controlled with its own pumps and everything else. And, uh, of course, Chris was on the outside, but all in a tank. Um, and, and, and it worked well, right? Like, I mean, it's, you know, yeah, what do you want? It was a good sequence. Yeah. We, we've seen that a lot, obviously, with you know, people going in, off in cliffs and cars and stuff. And I just don't think you can fake it. You have to have real water. That's just, yeah. I, and I don't know. see any point in not doing that. And can I say the wide shot, once they get out, there's that wide shot of them all swimming up in the like shafts of light. And I think it was like, oh my God. Like I looked, I turned to my kid and I was like, whoa, like that, that's like a painting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was. It was very uh, cinematic. beautiful. It? Yeah. Probably, I don't know about you guys. I don't know if I can dive that deep. Like I think my ears would go, but I always appreciate the cinematic kind of underwater shots that people yeah. seem to, to pull off. But um, hey, yeah, one thing we had in the article that was really funny is that, <laughs> so like I totally get this, right? I don't know if you remember in the previous film, they had the gyro car and, you know, it goes out through some gates with some yeah. kids in it and gets in trouble. Okay, so fair enough. That's all, all good stuff for the story. But if you actually go back and look at it, which, you know, it's fair enough. Um, it is actually a bit smooth. Like it does feel a bit like it's floating over the ground. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the BFX supervisor, David Vickery, who's from Lone, he's ex Egg, but he was actually on loan to, from ILM as the sort of production guy. He goes, I know we should put it on the back of a truck and actually drive it around so it bumps and it's really like, you know, feels like it's on grass. Oh, everyone says, great idea. <laughs> so they do that. And of course it's so bumpy, they can't use the footage because it's just camera <laughs> shake. <laughs> so then they have to lay down mats in Hawaii. <laughs> so the car's driving on mats. So that it isn't mm. too bumpy, given that the whole point of doing it was to make it bumpy. I thought that was just pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, completely understandable, right? But it's just a whole lot of green mats. <laughs> and you can see that we, we grabbed a frame to highlight it. But I mean, it's just that kind of thing, right? Best intentions, you know. Yeah, of. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, throwing them off was great. And of course, the other thing is, and we've seen that with the Vomit Comet, it actually makes a difference if you can get people in that momentary zero G kind of state that they're mm-hmm. in for about two seconds when they go off the cliff. I mean, it really, apart from their acting, which of course is incredibly funny, <laughs> um, that, that sort of their clothes and their hair and everything in that kind of state that they go off is, is very yeah. hard to replicate. Yeah, it's such a good sequence. I I just watched that that bit just now on your on your article, Mike. It's so great. Like the the expression on both of the actors' faces when it finally actually goes not even just over the edge, but when it really starts to accelerate. Like the the eyes open so wide, yeah. and it's like that's so cool. Yeah, they just really look. Just and I was like, you'd be thinking to yourself, has anyone tested this? Because that's my thing, right? Like I'm, I'm on a roller coaster. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I saw you guys. that. Yeah, and I always say to myself, well, this has run a hundred times a day for the last you know three years, so it's going to not fail. And if it does, the odds of it failing when I'm on it are really low, right? 
But on this, it'd be like, this is the first time we've done it. If something's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong for them. I mean, not they wouldn't have tested it, but you know what I mean? Like you just couldn't reassure yourself that this has been done 100,000 times and uh, and has never had a problem. Well, it'd be like when I saw it, I thought, okay, normally, you know, you'd have your grips build that, but grips aren't building that. Would you... Did, would you hire like a roller coaster company to make no, a section the, of track? Like, no, the special effects guys did it. They they did it. Wow. They they got That's, somebody in that that consulted on the okay, uh, yeah. arcs to make sure that it got yeah, up yeah. zero g. Yeah. Yeah. No. That. I mean, I've been about I mean, it all. Yeah. You know, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like I like when you've got a film that's of this scale. When you can go, well, we just. Because they, they, the director actually had suggested, let's go film at a real roller coaster. And everyone was like, no, that's not going to work. We can't, what? Yeah. We can't put a green screen on a real roller coaster. Yeah. Um, and then somebody uh, like the um, special effects guy, uh, Phil, right, just goes, I'll make you one. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, they, you know, when they read the script, they're like, in the shop, they were like, we're going to make a roller coaster. And they're like, yes. <laughs> don't, I, don't you just feel like those guys are like really professional? completely like totally dedicated to getting the film oh, right. Yeah. But secretly they're like, oh, I'm going to have so much fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. For sure. I mean, that's like, that's the, the, the pain of a budget this big is the micromanagement by studios and all that kind of stuff. The joy of a budget this big is being able to say, I want you to build a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like it when like they... they you know, they'll say like, well, I should have this entire car on a, an, a uh, you know, like effectively a hydraulic arm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 See you Tuesday. Yeah, yeah I, exactly. I, I wanted to talk to you about a little bit about that sequence um, sort of near the end of the film, uh, sort of the climactic sequence in the the kid's room. I think, oh, yeah. yeah. I think that like as a, I, just imagining that sequence, you know, from the script and then being storyboarded out and trying to sort of figure out how they want to plan that out. I feel like that sequence is so, um, I just really loved it in the movie. I thought it was, it was so smartly done, smartly executed the use and play on, um, shadows and light and dark. It's actually, it's a really dark scene. Like if Mm -hmm. only when they're outside, um, it's sort of in the second part of the sequence, do we see, you know, the dinosaurs somewhat lit and they're really lit either by lightning or, um, from below from, cause they're sort of standing on that, um, I don't know what you call it, but that kind of that glass, uh, mm-hmm. sort of an ironwork kind Atrium, of, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they're just sort of being lit from below, which I think also heightens the sort of scariness of them. And then from lightning, and there's even a shot of I think it's the blue uh, character, or maybe it's the, the whatever the endo raptor or something, but where uh, it climbs up on the sort of cornice of one of the gothic roof lines as the uh, like with a full moon behind it oh yeah it's it's such an over-the-top shot but it's like it's so cool too though it's like one of those ones where you kind of go for it and i love i I love the uh the kid in the bed and the shadows kind of going across the wall mm -hmm. and the sort of the monster under the bed and the the big claw kind of reaching out towards the kid and i just thought all that stuff was so cool mixing my references completely when she was trying to get the or he was trying to get the um outside door handle you know uh, of the window yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. i really felt like saying out loud in the cinema "Mm, clever girl yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it felt like both that cross to the um to the scene where they were trying to get into the control room for Unix. I know Unix, you know I can do this. Um that scene and of course the scene uh in the other one where um the raptors uh ambushed the uh, Yeah. But yeah, but it was the com- me, like the comping sequence. and the lighting and stuff. I just oh, think it's yeah. so oh, it's so gorgeous. tight. But my my uh my well also um, from a storytelling point, it, it, you know, the raptor could just rush in and just devour her, but it's mm-hmm. being stealthy and like, you know, mm. s- scraping at the, at the thing, which in- indicates intelligence, which they had referenced before. So like it was all serving the same point to me, it felt more like uh Ripley, uh, um, Newt oh, yeah. in aliens, yeah, that's you know what I mean? With, it, th- with, yeah. the, with her and the thing, but, but to your point about the, the moonshot, when they show it, the moon's off to the left. It's off camera left, and it's looking away from the moon to start, and it swings around like a – Yeah, the camera's you moving know, across. 100, 100 like degrees or whatever. When it I, – I, I, again, you see it on the thing, and the camera starts moving to the right, and I said to my kid, 
and here comes the moon. Like, like you knew that's where it was going, and there's no way you would do anything else. Hey, that I'm, is, you were like, I'm. Oh, we can put the thing on the roof, and when we come around, it's going to be backlit by the moon. Yes, we're doing that. No, no, yeah, that's, no, I don't okay. care. It's, it's, okay, that's exactly true, except for one thing. Right, we're talking to David about this, and he said, "Here's the thing, right? The DOP just like backlighting things, and." So he just backlit everything. And in fact, he was doing 180 degree pans. And so what he'd do is he'd start the 180 degree pan with someone backlit and then he'd swing and they'd cut halfway through. Then they'd go backlight the character that they were meant to be talking to or looking at. Oh. And then, uh-huh. they'd, then they'd finish the whip pan and then ILM would just splice them together. So you have completely oh, nice. backlit to backlit shots right. just because he <laughs> loves backlit shots. And it's like, yeah. right. it's like the skill of the wow. DOP and the director that you have. So, you know, you were saying spinning around to get the moon. Absolutely correct. Except for he'd have done anything and just put the moon where he wanted it because he wasn't going to well, let sure, physics yeah. get in the way of a great shot. <laughs> yeah. He was just out for really dramatic lighting. And that's I it. don't know, it just worked. That's another thing I think that's worth mentioning too. And this is, I think, you know, for a film with that's got so much uh, CG character stuff in it, um, I, I know we we touch on this sometimes, but I really do uh, applaud the um, the director and the supervisors and the DP. Like they really um, they they avoid the thing that I think. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we we all kind of frown upon it to some degree. Is the the impossible camera? Um, yeah, and they don't really do that. I mean, I think you, maybe what you're alluding to a little bit there is like in some ways, yeah, it's kind of impossible. <laughs> like well, some of the way that those, yeah, the, yeah, the, the, but the, the, camera, but the camera moves are totally yeah. legit. Yeah, but but don't you just think? I mean, we're going on about the characters, and a lot of people will go on about the CG characters in this. But you touched on it a second ago. The comp team on this, oh, like yeah. seriously, ILM's comp team is just like some kind of crack team of. I don't know, pagan gods that just managed to <laughs> integrate CG and live action in ways that defy like their ability to see a shot technically and just work out what it is to make it sell. I mean, I just am in awe of the comp team. Yeah, well, and well yeah, I mean, to your point, you can talk about the CG all we want, but if it's not comp well, it doesn't matter, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep, well, in particular, a lot of the that, shot. the particle stuff, like the, the um, I think a lot of that, which I, I'm, I'll assume is probably a lot of Houdini Sims and stuff. It's to Houdini get a lot and of, and also Plume, yeah, yeah. I mean, and the, all those different passes and all those different um, sort of elements and layers coming together because they got those the billowing pieces that are sort of um, they're filling from within, right, and sort of billowing around mm-hmm. themselves. But then they also have um, these sort of concussive and explosive um, bits that sort of shoot out almost like a, you know, like a missile or something, right, that are sort of arcing at the same yep. time. And when you, you start to see those things layered together, I mean, it was so effective. It was really great. The, the only shot that I was going to ask you guys about, I was wondering that the one shot that I thought was um, tricky from an animation story and comp perspective is towards the tail end of the film when all the, um, I can't remember what they call it, but the gas is sort of coming out and all the, mm-hmm. yep. the dinosaurs yep. are going to be poisoned. And they're all, um, they all do get out of their cages, but they can't get out of the, whatever that garage uh, space mm-hmm. is yep. that they're in. And there's this, there's a moment where the gas is coming up and we're sort of looking like three quarters sort of looking down on the scene. And then we mm-hmm. see all these dinosaurs like kind of clustered together like a, like a crowd at a party kind of. And uh, that was the one thing where it, like the geometry of the space and then the cloud, I mean, it worked in the context of the story, but it was a, it felt like a clunky, awkward, uh, yeah. clunky and awkward I, shot. I th- I thought the the story point was really clunky and awkward at that point. Mm, like yeah. if you've really got lethal gas escaping, then it doesn't stay so low as to, like, you know what I mean? Like anywhere in a, you know, huge radius, if, if toxic gas is leaking is where you want to not be, not yeah. just kind of just over here and yeah. out of the way slightly and only got a whiff of it. And, and also why would all the animals come out into the middle? Why wouldn't some of them stay in the state cages and sort of go to the back of the room? It just was all yeah, poorly it's a, it's the, constructed. Somebody said you need a ticking clock there and they yeah. go, uh, I don't know, damn, you know, leak, yeah. leaking gas. You know? Yeah, and that's then, one part that And then there was, it's fairly unmotivated. Me. Like we hadn't had established this particular need for this particular well, poisonous gas. you needed something for the, other, for the other two characters to be doing something. I know, sort but of it like was, in the last Jedi, you, need, you know, you need uh, Rose and Finn to be doing something. You know what I mean? But it's just not. It just felt really. <laughs> I'm not. 
Agreed. No, I'm agreeing. Yeah, no, no, I'm, no, no, I'm with you, like, but I'm just saying you it's can like see where someone goes. Oh, I don't know. Make them do something. Give, give them something yeah. dangerous. You know. But it's always like it's that thing like we saw in that. Remember that James Bond film um, where they go to the remote location where he's got the uh, that like in the middle of nowhere and um, they've got this very elaborate setup where a whole lot of people are, are doing something with media and for no apparent reason they have incredibly large quantities of volcanically <laughs> erupting like plasma inducing hydro whatever stored right next to the habitat that's going to blow up and like basically to the size of a mushroom cloud and it's like hey i've got an idea let's not store that right there let's store it over there somewhere like where it's safe right it's like hey let's build these animals and let's just have a huge toxic gas thing here yeah. why do we need that again um well, i don't really i just thought it'd be yeah. you know useful well, that's the thing too like you don't even know what the gas is for it's not like someone eating no, no. said somewhere you know like you know hey watch out for that gas that's we need that for this like it like that actually is a moment where if you did the right exposition then i can't believe i even yeah. said that word sentence but you know uh <laughs> exactly. you know that it would it would it would you know at least mean something instead of just random toxic gas yeah, I mean, if if they'd gone off and made something to cause uh, to blow up something to get something to escape, and then that had they didn't know right. that was right next to something else, and there was just some sure, some, like some two logic containers, to it. you know, yeah. fall over and create. Oh my god, the the blah 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 and the blah 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 created this. You know, you didn't do that, did you? Because this is yeah, like yeah. you know, it's that thing. Okay, so in in. Um, in Aliens, it was a great moment where he's like, she's like, hey, they're not going to fire down there. Like that's, they've got weapons. So everybody give me your, your clips. And we're all like, yeah. what? But, yeah. you know, there was like some plausible reason they couldn't fire because the whole yeah, thing Because of the up. air conditioning or whatever. Even the, though the, we forget about yeah. that like a half an hour later and everyone just shoots everything and nothing happens. But, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's that thing of like, wait, what? Oh, no, we can't do that. And then you're oh, like, yeah, just the raising with the you. stakes one more yeah. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was very clunky to me, and um, and I, again, I just feel like you could have got there if whoever what, you one of you guys said it before about behavioral animal behavioral sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Could have been a much stronger play to um, use the herbivores and the carnivores and cause the carnivores to get the herbivores to do something because you worked out how to move the herds in ways that you know weren't predicted, rather than just ignoring the fact that these are all kind of mortal enemies and you're throwing them all in the same little narrow corridor and. They're frightened, and they're, they're all. Oh, and really, would they all and, fit? Also, that's yeah. That's I think yeah, that's yeah. the clunkiness that Matt was talking about. Like, you're yeah, visually in this kind of high control room, and you're looking down at like things that are like cars or buses. Yeah. I mean, like, could you fit like four buses or eight buses in that place? Probably not. But they have to squeeze them in there for the story point. There's one other really, uh, a couple really cool shots too in the. Um, I guess you could call it the epilogue. Right, um, and there was one in particular, sort of at the very end of the film, where they're sort of talking about these. You know, it's, I guess it's um, what's his face, Jeff Goldblum, talking before uh, oh, yeah. the whatever the hearing or whatever he's in, and and um, we're sort of seeing these clips, and there's the T Rex like faces off with the lion right at a zoo or something. That was cool. And, yeah, but but I I love the one shot which it's so brief, and I wanted it to go on longer because I I just want to see what happens, and it's of the. The big underwater, I don't know what they call it, the Mosasaurus thing or whatever. And it's in this giant wave where all these people are surfing near this like really glamorous beach or something. And sorry, a helicopter. That was very funny, wasn't it? But yeah, I I love that. And that shot is so cool, like, but it's so short. It's like only just like a second or two. Yeah, it does feel like a out. Yeah. It feels like a shot from Megalodon or the Meg. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sharknado. Um, hey, um, <laughs> yeah. so I think our attitude is, certainly my attitude is that this film was fine and it'll, I'm going to reserve my final judgment to what happens in the third film. If the third film makes sense of all this and we don't suddenly have, you know, one individual creature going to Russia causing it to suddenly have like a thousand creatures <laughs> because we don't have a breeding pack and we don't have an, I mean, you know, like it's, if anyone could yeah. do the genetics, I mean, you know, so there's a whole lot of problems. I'm going to withhold all of that and just say, hey, if, they, if they're clever about it, I'm going to love this film. If they're not, I'm going to come back and be mean. But um, <laughs> that's, that's my, uh, my judgment. Can what I, about you? Can I point something out? Yeah. Uh, I appreciated in the very end shot, like I said, that it starts with, the, with them driving and you're, you're on the hood looking at them and the comp is yeah. like, I mean, it's not that the comp is bad, but it's just very obviously green screen. Mm-hmm. Uh at least to me, and and 
But then you cut to the side shot and we have what has now become, in my opinion, the obligatory um, backlit through a giant sun shot, uh, which is now, I think this might be the fourth movie to use that in the modern era of CG um, of the, of the pterodactyls flying through the sun. Yeah. And I would, I would not hesitate to say that this trend might have been started by our friend Todd Vaziri with the TIE fighters coming out of <laughs> the sun for Force Awakens. Okay. Because it was then used in Kong Skull Island multiple times uh, with Kong standing up in front of the, which I mean, it's a, I mean, again, much like that moonshot earlier, like if someone, if I was making a film at this budget and someone said, oh, what do you want to do? I'd say, backlight it with the sun. Give me the big well, it's an, horizon. It's an apocalypse you know I mean? like, now thing too, though, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, like, yeah. it's, no, and it's totally. kind of a, it's a longstanding thing in so many films, you know, even I think there's a, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark moment like that. No, you of know, course. Any, yeah, yeah of all course. that sort of backlit, silhouetted sunset. Yeah. I just orange. mean in a modern sort of, from a CG perspective. Like, mm. Okay. Mm. Well, look, we have to wrap That's it up there. We're, we're out of time, <laughs> but um, I think we could go on for, 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 because it's a whole franchise we're talking about, really, not just one film. But hey, thank you guys so much for being here, uh, as always. Um, Matt, do you want to, as always, just flag where people can touch base? Sure. Yeah. You can just go to my website really for anything and everything that I've got going on. All my social media stuff is on there. It's just mattwallen.com. And Jason. Uh, my brother and I are at thediamondbros.com and superspherevr.com. Excellent. And of course, I'm Mike Seymour on FX Guide. Thank you guys so much for being with us. Um, I think we've got coming up Ant-Man and a bunch of other really good things uh, in the works. So uh, look forward to those. Uh, look forward to, of course, your comments. And with Emmy season uh, underway, we'll probably get to some of the TV shows as well. Until then, I'm Mike Seymour. Thanks so much for being with us. See you. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.